Hi, thanks for tuning in to High on Horror. I'm Drew. And I'm John. This episode and every future episode is dedicated to all the horror hounds and smokers out there who want to expand their knowledge of the genre and have a good time. Today we're talking about Motherly from 2021. This is one of those movies that if you haven't seen it, after you hear us talk about it, we bet that you're going to say to yourselves, hmm, I need to see this. Uh, It's an intense thriller with big emotions, big feels, and to take us even deeper into the film, we have the director and co-writer with us, Craig David Wallace. He's going to spill his guts to us in an exclusive interview today. All that and more today on High on Horror. Horror. Interviews, reviews, and the latest news all rolled into one. Oh yeah! Alright, so we're going to start this episode off the right way like we always do, by getting baked. So it's time for Strainwreck. If you hear that train rolling, you know that it's Strainwreck time, the segment of our show, where we talk about what we're smoking in this episode. Uh, today, I actually got some weed for once. I was the one that provided the bud. Uh, I got us some fatso from the dispensary, but uh, John, like always, you read down the uh, description and break it down for us, brother. And you pay for drugs, not once. Josh, throw in that uh, Dewey Cox sale. I, I carried the whole first season. You carried the whole second season. Now we got to do like a 50-50 for the third yeah, season. Yeah, had to have sub-zero. I ain't had to have sub-zero gushers in a while. Yeah, right. But uh, today we got some Fatso. I don't know if that's from... Uh, I wonder if that's a Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Uh, last week we did Cotton Candy. This week we're doing Fatso. Yeah, hey. oh, not even planned. I'll tell you, half of this shit, I, I know people are probably like, ah, oh, they fucking planned it this way. Nope. We? No. We're just terrible. We just, <laughs> we just you would think like, oh, that'd be cool happened. to play in, but by accident we end up, I guess. It's a lucky coincidence. Like the Graham Skipper month, see? <laughs> I just wanted to bring that up just so I could say his name right this time. <laughs> uh, if Graham Skipper ever listens to this, he's just going to be like, what the hell, man? Like, I was on that third episode, and like he mispronounced my name for like three months. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, back to Fatso here. It's uh, t- 28% THC. It's uh, very calming. Mm-hmm. Dude, look at this bar for the low THC to the high. Like, that shit's almost Damn. all the way filled. Damn. Yeah, and I got, strong. like, a Samsung. F- it's swole. <laughs> it go at a thick boy. <laughs> anyway, uh, this cross, uh, it's of GMO cookies. I swear to God, the kind of candy cookies, last man. week was a cross of gmo cookies i think it was and legend og it comes from colorado breeder canarado Canarado. Uh, not for th- oh i like this not for the faint of lungs i'm excited oh uh fatso is a newer strain that caters to gas cush and cookies alike this funky fuel tasting indica is high in thc and comes covered in trichomes making it great for hash make sure you're close to the couch for this one you won't want to get up this is one of the <laughs> best descriptions really we've had so far that is amazing <laughs> when i read that description i go i want that weed and it's right, right here in front of us That's and awesome. i mean we're, but the problem is we're trying to do a podcast and <laughs> its top effect is sleepy so basically what's gonna happen is by the time we get to the outro we're gonna be a blubbering which happens every fucking episode anyway lately yeah but maybe now worse maybe maybe it's just gonna be like five minutes of like just radio silence of us just like snoring just snoring waking up sleepy relaxed and tingly Tingly. i always like tingly i 
That's a lie. I was going to say, I've never felt tingly from weed. I don't think it's from the weed. I think it's when I'm hacking my lung up and getting lightheaded from coughing. Yeah. <laughs> that's when I get the tingly. Um, wow, I, I didn't know that's that. a flavor. I thought that was a smell. But uh, flavors it has listed as diesel. The next one is pungent. Pungent? Okay. Ammonia? Ammonia. Ammonia. Okay. But uh, negative, let's see. Nope, not on there. It's just dry eyes, anxious, and paranoid. (laughs) So we're going to be tired and paranoid? At the same time, and recording a podcast. (laughs) What was it? All I thought, I was thinking of uh, Grandma's Boy, where he's like, this one's the brown bomber, you'll shit your pants. And he's like, I'm good on that one. (laughs) So I'm going to be paranoid and sleepy. I don't know if I want that, but I'm still going to smoke it. Do you have a lighter? I have a lighter. It's in my book bag, so if you hear me jostling around. That's that's, Okay, well, I was going to bring up, uh, while you get that started, um, so uh, Peacock, by the way, um, we are not getting paid to mention Peacock. We don't get anything from them yet. It's called the cock. Um, But, uh, you know, we're not in, we don't, you know, partner with them like we do Shutter or anything yet. Um, But I I have to drop it here because it's just really cool news that, uh, you know, they've been kicking ass. They've been having, like, Cocaine Bear and like you know they're getting john wick four in a couple of weeks um and the newest news is that there is a satanic panic show hitting peacock as a peacock original um it's supposed to be uh i'm not sure exactly when it's coming out it's supposed to be this year i believe but it's called hysteria and it stars bruce campbell and um he plays a he plays a cop basically in a town where uh it's like at the peak of when there was satanic panic in the 1980s um and it's going to be all about like high school and like heavy metal and shit like that and uh bruce basically plays an old-fashioned cop so i'm sure he's going to be the comedic relief in that but bruce doing more horror that's awesome yeah it's funny uh my sister's never really watched anything bruce campbell and i i told you like she's a huge fan of the practical jokers we have yeah. to go see kevin smith <laughs> and uh the one do q when he was there so they actually had their bruce campbell episode air my sister he's like bruce campbell is a dick <laughs> and i was like yeah and she was like why do people like him the dude just seems like a dick i was like because he made evil dead <laughs> he's, just, he's very confident and it's dry sarcasm and if if you I, i've told my wife sam this uh yeah if if you don't get it you'll think he's an asshole the way he like acts and shit you know like but if you understand you'll laugh it off my wife's like well why is it funny when he does it but not funny when i do it because <laughs> uh, it's bruce fucking you're campbell. Not bruce campbell but no that's funny you say that so so an outsider who doesn't like get the bruce campbell thing like yeah. your sister totally thought it was dicky of him i mean yeah. I get she it, was though. like i don't if I you don't, don't get the sarcasm i don't understand why people don't like him i was like you made evil dead I was like, that's all he's got to do. True that. That is all he's got to do. And Army of Darkness. And I mean, I got to be honest. My favorite Evil Dead thing is Ash versus Evil Dead. Just like as of all the Evil Dead stuff, I know, I know, we talked about the movies, but uh, that would just be my favorite. Hands down, would be Ash versus Evil Dead. Yeah, if I um, I thought about that earlier when um I saw Evil Dead Rise for the third time today. <laughs> Is is it is it um, better the third time? Just the same? In my opinion, it hasn't changed. Okay. I just get more excited like when I know what's coming. Um, but um, I was thinking earlier that when we reviewed the Evil Dead series in our episode uh, review of Rise, we didn't mention the show. And I was going to say, if we had mentioned the show to me, the show would have been number two. I would have done Evil Dead 2, the show, Ash vs. Evil Dead, then Evil Dead 1, then Rise, then Army of Darkness then um the reboot 
But uh, so it's funny you would have put it at one. It's the same awesome. thing. We just like what we said last week. Our one and twos are like the same. They're just swapped. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I love the TV show so much. I do too, dude. So I feel like it's the perfect mix of the gore and just the comedy, dude, and just the perfect like I don't know, just like I feel like it's the full Ash experience. Like. Agreed, agreed. It's five hours of Ash as opposed to like yeah. an hour and a half. But but no, the uh, by far, uh, we might as well talk about it while we're here. By far, my favorite thing in that entire show was when bruce gets pulled up i'm sorry ash gets pulled up the corpse's ass and <laughs> that's the board, a pretty good one he's like no not the butt not the <laughs> butt and then he's getting his head shoved up the ass and he's like get your dick off my face and it's like all like a pierced dong like uh, uh yeah man fucking I, hilarious. I was gonna say one of my favorite moments from the show is literally the opening when he's <laughs> in the bathroom with that woman and he's like all right he's like how about we focus on me for a bit yeah. <laughs> he said something like it's been like three minutes how about we focus on me for a and minute he's like smacking her ass with his wooden hand <laughs> yeah. yeah uh and like all the like supporting characters in it were all good i agree and uh but uh i think that that show uh really really got the chance to showcase like how much of a good comedic actor bruce campbell is like you see evil dead 2 and army of darkness and that's one thing but when you see the show and at his age you're like and his it's his line delivery man you're like this dude it really is comedic gold like he should do more comedies like if he was a leading man and more comedies like even if it was like a romantic comedy and he was the lead i guarantee you i'd be laughing my ass off and i think if that show had come out now in the streaming age that we have now because that was kind of when you were i mean you had streaming services but it was more you were still relying on those like cable channels yeah. and they could only do it on a premium cable channel mm -hmm. with everything out like even i mean hell shutter like i feel like it would have been more successful than it just being on stars which was always the like premium movie channel that like nobody had yeah right like everybody made sure to have hbo and showtime they were usually kind of packaged and stars like yeah i literally um so here's the deal i don't know if i ever told you this or not i literally when i when when, when ash vs evil dead got canceled i i unsubscribed from stars like immediately because i'd already bought the shows on blue on blu-ray anyway and so i was like i'm not gonna need to watch it and i was pissed at them for canceling it um, and th that was the only reason I had that app. Like you said, like there was no nothing, no other reason to have it. And uh, when I came, when I canceled my subscription, it said I had optional. I could answer optionally um, why I canceled my subscription. And I hit them with a quote from uh, Army of Darkness. I said, "Honey, you got real ugly." <laughs> that was my comment. I left it at that. But uh, yeah, like you said, I agree with you because I literally was like, "Well, I don't need to, I don't need this anymore." And, and I remember you were just you're like, "I guess I got to pay for stars when the show came out." Yeah, yeah. Well, remember we, what was it? You mean? And I don't think Kenny was there. No, it was you, me, and my sister, right? And, and my wife. I think we did like a, every week. We got together and watched a new episode. Yeah, especially the first couple ones. We we yeah. we, we got together. The first season, I think, maybe. Dude, I just yeah. remember everybody was fucking dying watching. <laughs> I, I literally would, would, was, I, I'm using the word literally a lot this episode, um, but I, I was uh, in another room and it, I had left it playing, left Ash vs. Evil Dead playing in the living room and uh i heard my wife out there cracking up and it made me laugh when i'm like my wife who's not even like big into horror like that catches a minute or two of the episode and cracks up about it dude like, you know it's a funny fucking oh, show. i was just pointing i wasn't oh, trying oh. To, i still gotta take my head i'm just pointing <laughs> with the lighter my bad it, that's my fault that's on me i gotta be careful <laughs> my body language but i was gonna say like the cold is not like gory movies for the most part i right. mean she she liked the saw movies but that's you know they kind of had a plot 
she loved ash versus evil dead we're watching it one time and <laughs> really she likes it yeah she watched the whole series <laughs> we uh the, the, the one time we were watching it uh because awesome. i i was re-watching it because i had never finished season three yeah um and i was re-watching it and i was like hey do you want to watch this see if you like it we were on season two and i like fell asleep and i woke up and she was still like oh she's like oh you fell asleep i'm three episodes ahead now and i'm like, oh, shit, oh, geez. Nice. like i'm like okay i'm like i guess you really do like this but it's funny because the evil dead movie came out i'm like do you want to see it uh, i don't know maybe but it's like it's just, <laughs> she loved ash versus evil dead tv show hey uh i mean like i said it was a good show but i realized we've been over here greasing bruce's wheels for the last like 10, ten minutes did you I, w- I realized it but i had to make one last point but uh yeah it was funny because it's all just started because i said my sister said bruce campbell is a dick on a practical jokers and yeah. we have spent i don't know yeah probably like almost about 10 minutes at this point just going on about evil dead hopefully for no you reason. listeners like uh, evil dead and if bruce not campbell. Uh, just skip through it well i guess it's too late at this point so well, what <laughs> go back in time and then skip this part <laughs> But, uh, hear what John has to say because you have yeah, something you want to talk about. We haven't about, even right? got on <laughs> what I saw this week. Uh, for Blade, uh, Marvel Studios, uh, they're going to have the True Detective creator Nick Nick Palazzo. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to be writing it. Okay. And then I can never pronounce that guy's name, Marshala Ali. Yeah. Uh, he was in season three of True Detective. He's already cast to play uh, Blade. And then uh, from Lovecraft Country. Jan Demange is going to be directing it, so I, I'm looking forward to it. Oh yeah, and uh, me, yeah. me too. I mean, that's a good team. I, I, I like that. So, yeah, and it's uh, scheduled for release September 6th of uh, next year, though. So, we yeah, still, they're taking their time with it, man. They've still got a way. I mean, hey, how many if, rewrites? If you're going to make the movie better, take your time. That's true, but I'm just like, how many rewrites is this? Like, you know, Marvel slipping when uh they they're this is like the third fourth time i've heard about there being rewrites man and I mean, uh, but i love blade and uh, you know the blade 2 was like one of my favorite comic yeah. book movies ever so um I'm, I'm definitely down for new blade but it isn't going to be rated r the last time i heard so that's a little uh little uh, you know blade should be rated r but which you think they should because uh what you call it deadpool. uh deadpool yeah he rated r and his next one's still gonna be rated r logan too. was rated r too man you know but i didn't realize that uh blade has been around um since the 70s yeah he made his uh, i think he made, he made his first appearance in a spider-man comic i believe the tomb of dracula the tomb of dracula that july was july of yes. 73 yes and then he was in some spider-man comics um oh I, apparently mia <laughs> goth is gonna be in it as well yeah she was cast i in forgot it. about that and um who the hell else was it damn you're gonna really get me with that it was no that was it because she was also cast in frankenstein i had mentioned that on a prior episode yeah. so yeah mia goss still making moves <laughs> as uh, the love interest henry frankenstein the love monster's interest. love interest <laughs> <laughs> she's not the bride <laughs> but yeah i mean yeah it's been a uh i guess rocky road would be the best choice to describe yeah. uh what it's been going on but i mean that there's i mean all this has been good news lately so yeah. hopefully uh hopefully things uh pick back up with it they still got till uh september of next year so they got at the time of this recording about a year and a half before it comes out yes yeah, so let's get it right guys yeah. let's do it 
Uh, did you ever watch uh, the TV series? Nope. I never even never even gave a shit about it. Wow. No Wesley Snipe. You know, you know, you know. want to see Sticky Fingers? No, no Wesley Snipe. I'm out. Wesley Snipe. <laughs> was he in prison at the time that came out? <laughs> I don't know. I think uh, I, he might have been, but I'm pretty sure they weren't paying what he was asking. That show was low budget crap. Damn. But um, tell us how you really feel. <laughs> <laughs> all right well uh all right well i guess that's it so uh let me take this hit real quick and uh Let's then we'll uh, get on into horror history this week in horror history all right getting into some horror history here i mentioned this uh previously yeah who the hell knows we're recording a couple episodes <laughs> i forget what order in the yeah i think there it's a couple episodes again or it might be in the future. I don't know. But as I said, second best Friday the 13th, part two, 1981. 1981. Yeah, man, we've said it before, but two is really one of the finer sequels in that, uh, in the Friday the 13th series. It is a fucking solid slasher film. Yeah. And uh, if you want to know more about it, we've done an episode and uh, we talked to Laura Marie Taylor about it. That's right. Uh, graduation day 1981 another 1981 slasher now this is a very good slasher movie and very underrated this is one where i talk to people about it they, they're like they say they say they've either seen it and don't remember it or they've heard of it but um it will never leave my collection because when you go through the history of slashers i consider it to be an essential and uh it stars a, lo- a young linnea quigley who's just as sweet as pie in the film this was actually her second role and the film was shot in just three weeks so uh and there's some really good deaths in there as well um what is it about the 80s man that like fucking every day has a fucking horror movie that was all halloween man april fool's day yeah. graduate i literally halloween did that everything was let's that's uh prom night yeah. like for Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. <laughs> no, like for a prom night, like literally, they they made they were tapping out fucking holidays so much that they're like, let's just start doing school dances too. Happy birthday to me! Yeah, like, birthdays, God, proms. Man. Yeah, they they just they it went was for ridiculous. everything. Everything. Yeah, we should we 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 should start a revival and just start doing like the more obscure ones. Like let like like let like let's do Arbor Day, <laughs> Flag Day. Yeah, <laughs> uh next up from 1987 we have creep show 2 oh man uh this that's one of the best anthology films and sequels ever conceived um i like the stories in this one more than some of the ones in the first film but that cast in the first film man and uh that really sells it you know and uh there's five stories in the first movie and only three in this one but the hitchhiker is the best story for me am i right yeah but thanks I for still, the ride lady i still like the first one better yeah so. i agree but i'm saying like do you, do you think the hitchhiker is the best story of the sequel oh yeah i like the raft as well but yeah thanks for the ride lady that's the one that was the one where you're like yo that was a badass story right there <laughs> i mean both. i mean you can't go wrong with either creep show no you really can't and uh 1987 psychos in love yeah, man, great little uh, love story in the vein of like natural born killers. But well, I uh, guess this came before natural born killers. Well, yeah, it's ridiculous and a lot of fun. Um, but uh, I usually watch it on Valentine's Day. But I was too busy this year. All I got to was uh, my bloody Valentine. I always watch that one. Uh, I usually watch Valentine. Nicole likes that one so David Bananas. Yeah, he's going to own the Flyers soon, and we're going to be amazing again. Fucking Angel's going to own a hockey team. <laughs> uh 1996 the craft i always liked the craft but uh you're not a fan right um i watched it for the first time with then i i have to say it's within the last year oh no shit okay 
Nicole loves the movie. If I remember correctly, like I said, I've only seen it once. I believe I said something along the lines is you're supposed to like these girls, but they're a bunch of manipulative bitches. So why the hell would I like them? <laughs> the movie's good. I don't have a problem. I just fucking hate all the girls in that movie. They're yeah, fucking fair terrible. Enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. There's not really many good people in that movie. No, there's not. Even Skeet Ulrich's a dick. Oh, wow. Skeet's playing a dick. There's a surprise. Big surprise. It's like Jason Bateman playing a sarcastic character. Uh, Tales from the Dark Side, 1990. I'm sorry. Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. Well, you know, uh, this is seriously a front runner for best anthology film, in my opinion. Even as Graham Skipper, you know, he even said that when we had him on. Um, Tales from the Dark Side is such a great movie with a great cast and uh, with George Romero directing. Funny enough, this was supposed to be Creepshow 3, but the rights fell through, so they still made the movie. They just retitled it for the to fit the television series of the same name. I mean, if we're going to talk best anthology movies, I'd probably have to go Allegoria. <laughs> took you serious for a second oh man no. oh man it's still no, creep show it's, for yeah, me. creep show one for me but i think tales from the dark side it's like one a creep show one b tales from the dark side i mean Tale, tales, tales two, three, nine, tales from the story. hood might, might might be number two for oh me. tales from the hood my god why why can't i think of the dude's name with the uh, afro i always think of his name i'm, I'm not I'm gonna, i know i'm gonna mess it up as a Terrence i always Fisher. know it off the top of my head Is but now Terrence that when Fisher? i actually did you say Terrence Fishburne? Terrence Fishburne. <laughs> like, you just combining people? <laughs> I didn't say Fishburne, motherfucker. It sounded like it. I'm just saying what I heard. Clarence Williams. That Thank was you. Clarence Why Williams is it I couldn't remember his name when I actually needed to, but if, like, we weren't recording, I'd have just said it. He makes fucking fucking tales from the hood man dude he does that's the look that the, the craziest face man those bug eyes um original vhs oh shit uh, that would have to be up there f- for my favorite anthologies and uh get into some uh birthdays here i don't know why i couldn't think of what the term is for when you're born but uh 1889 Master makeup artist Jack Pierce on May the 5th. We talked all about him in that Bride of Frankenstein episode, so make sure you tune into that. And uh, 1940, fucking man himself. Also, another from another episode of Where Are the Monsters, the first one, Lance Hendrickson. Legend, man. Also born May the 5th. That's fucking coincidence. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Uh, 1940, a little bit later than... Uh, our man jack pierce <laughs> a little bit later <laughs> a little bit later uh with that said i guess we'll get into a puff puff ass Yo, man. puff puff ass because a segment of our show where we read off messages that you listeners write into us on social media at high on horror 420 and email us at for high on horror 420 at gmail.com and through our website at high on horror.com i'll start here um i chose this one because it made me laugh Mark R uh, says, who would win in a fight, Chucky or Megan? <laughs> and uh, I got to say that I'm a Chucky man through and through, but Megan would fuck Chucky up. Um, none of Chucky's shit would work on her, man, whereas uh, she'd fucking rip him limb from limb. But he has a de Dembella. I wonder if he would be interested in an upgrade, if he would be like, if he could transfer someone to her, if he would accept that because she's like. Uh, being Chucky, I figured it was going to revolve around sex. Probably. I feel like he's trying to go, oh, fuck Megan. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> Tiffany going to be real upset. Jennifer Titty going to be real upset about that. <laughs> Who do you think would win, though? Oh, Megan, no doubt. That bitch was doing somersaults and bending backwards. <laughs> she got like a two-foot height advantage. Yeah. That strumpf, but, though, man. She got that strumpf. But I would say, now that I think about it, it doesn't have to be an all-in-all, all-Jesus all, motherfucking Christ, all in all out brawl you know what the fuck i mean an all out brawl, all out brawl. Okay. thank you this fucking weed man two episodes deep a lot of bong packs anyway yeah, make the excuses i'll make all the excuses anyway he could use he could use his smarts because she is you know computer programmed yeah so i feel like you know chucky doesn't necessarily have to fucking like like pimp smack her around but like he could find ways around it but if, if they just straight duking i'm going with megan yeah yeah 100 percent uh sienna said uh what is your favorite food to buy when you're seeing a movie mine's popcorn and red vines with a diet coke i mean Ugh. look nah, I just the, said song a lazy, diet coke. <laughs> the lazy sunday it's red vines and mr pib are crazy delicious so I'm always going to pib the drink, so I'll start there since I mentioned it. Call me sacrilegious or whatever, but Drew knows I fucking make a beeline for them Pizza Hut personal pan pizzas. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm usually high as giraffe pussy, so <laughs> I fucking I fucking crush that I thing like, before the movie. Him. He, I literally just see him hold a piece of pizza, he'll breathe, he'll go... <gasps> And it's gone. <laughs> I'm like, he's throwing the empty box on the floor, and I'm going, what? Dude, I just crushed that pizza. Now, what me and my nephew did the one time is uh, he got a cheese, and I got a pepperoni. We half just split it half and half. <laughs> fucking. But it's funny, because I'll, like, by the time the previews are done, I've already scarfed that pizza down, and I'm about halfway through my drink. Um, but then I'm usually good, because then, like, I'm kind of full, so then, like, that drink, that half will usually just last me throughout throughout the rest right, of the movie right but yeah so it's gonna be pizza a personal pan pepperoni <laughs> pizza hut pizza a large mr pib if i'm getting candy i'd probably go like reese's pieces if they have them okay if it's like a non-chocolate one i'm going like sour patch kids oh i love sour patch kids uh yeah for me it would be uh cookie dough bites for candy Oh, you, um, you remember the ones we had in my movie theater? The cookie dough bites? Yeah. No. no. They were in that red box. Is I mean, the same ones that they have now? They're chocolate coated? Yeah, like, they're chocolate coated. And like you can kind of get them at the dollar store, Yeah, those too. little rabbit turds, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, a little bunch of Crunch Johns. <laughs> I don't yeah, like um, Bunch of Crunch, but and I don't like popcorn. But Nicole had a mix one time, and I was dude, like, holy shit. Sam is- does that. My wife does that. She put popcorn and a bunch of crunch together. She's like, try this. And I'm like, it's fucking delicious. And I don't like either one, really. I don't, I'm not a big popcorn fan. Sorry to cut you off. I've worked You're at a good. movie theater. I know what they do with that popcorn. Uh, so. oh God, I'm done. I don't care. I don't want to hear it. But um, yeah, uh, for me, it's the pretzel bites candy, or the, pre- the, the cookie dough bites candy, and the pretzel bites for the food. Ooh. I love the pretzel bites with the cheese, the nacho listen. cheese. And listen, a large non-diet Coke, large regular Coke for me with little ice, keep that bitch cold and sweaty and full. And I will say that I haven't had red vines in a long time, but I, I definitely think I might get them next time. It's been a while. The key is you use them as a straw yeah yep because i got that little hole in them that little hole in them you know what to do all right well with that (laughs) on that note oh i was gonna say i just wanted to jump in 
it's funny this puff puff ass is going longer because we're talking about food <laughs> but uh Speak for yourself <laughs> oh wow um pretzel bites man i fucking love them they don't give you enough i was gonna say but you only get six of them bastards six or eight although the last time we went to movies 10 they fucking they were they were out of the package like the little plastic trays you remember yeah, yeah. they threw it in a hot dog container <laughs> yeah yep. but uh yeah and nachos are good too but they, my movie theater you remember we used to make the nachos and fucking jam them full of chips yeah, yeah and now yeah. it's like you go and you get some fucking tostitos bag it's a bag of tortilla chips that you open and dip in some pre-made yeah, it's not like made there anymore yeah um do, do you remember i had the nacho cheese machine at my house yeah i remember i remember that was a dream of yours and then you fucking had you, you yeah the movie it. theater closed down and we had two of the cheese machines and Jesus. they let me take one and we went and bought dude. with all due respect i'm surprised you're still here right now like <laughs> i bet you were dude. probably you were wheezing the juice you were doing that paulie shore shit just drinking off the fountain dude let me tell you what we what we were doing the juice. my mom my mom would fry up some ground beef so we'd have like a pan of that, have the cheese in the machine, get some Tostito like chips, and just put like ground beef and cheese on them shits. Oh man, that's fucking amazing. <laughs> if I get a movie theater, that's what I'm going to do. You, you, you can get like ground beef nachos. It's going to be called a nacho movie theater. <laughs> that's yeah. not a bad idea. I would love to own a movie theater, but Me it's probably. Yeah, we probably lose so much money. We would not be playing the right movies. We'd be like, Tuesday, everybody else is playing Avatar. We got Solo. <laughs> Solo in a Serbian film, Double Bill. <laughs> on Titty Tuesday. We'll get shut down the next day. <laughs> Titty t- All right, anyway, let's get on to the point here and talk about Motherly. <laughs> All right, getting into our film today. Uh, Motherly is a 2021 Canadian psychological horror film directed by today's guest, Craig David Wallace. And uh, the film premiered on August 26, 2021 at the London Fright Fest Film Festival. It received positive reviews from critics and audiences alike. It was subsequently screened at several other Canadian and international film festivals before being released on video on demand on November 16th of 2021. And, uh, this is another one of those ones that we're not, I mean, we're, you're going to get spoilers, but it's not really that much to talk about. It's more of a character driven movie. It's a character story, right? And, uh, it's more, you get more stuff through dialogue and stuff than I feel like you can really convey in the plot. Uh, the story centers on Kate and her nine year old daughter, Beth played by Tess Kozma who lives in an isolated remote location. Uh, Hal's a police officer portrayed by Colin Paradine. Uh, he checks on him periodically. As Beth's ninth birthday approaches, she hopes her father Brad will visit her. Uh, however, it's revealed that Brad, who we don't ever see, uh, committed suicide in prison after being convicted of murdering Beth's friend Courtney two years earlier. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so, like, yeah, with her birthday, uh, the Hal dude brings her a doll that she just doesn't give a shit about yep, yep. and uh hal's kind of a scumbag but uh we find out he's really one of the better people in the film actually <laughs> yeah i mean uh, it's funny in the beginning you're supposed to look at him as like he's one of the worst people and then when you really look at everything and as we'll go through here he's probably one of the better people the, he is he, uh but every man has his devil you know or devils and uh yeah, he's not perfect, but he's he's a decent. Yeah, character. Yeah, it's my favorite and, line in the movie. 
which he, is you you find out like i said we're going spoilers okay so. well if you can't get well, to no, well no 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 i'm saying i'm just saying like we're giving away a spoiler but i'm just saying we've already warned you that there's yeah. gonna be spoilers but uh he had previously cheated because uh uh kate and her daughter in like witness protection mm-hmm. and uh he cheated before and slept with her and he really was just checking on her and really wasn't doing anything, but his wife doesn't believe him. And he has a line. I, I'm not going to directly quote it more, just paraphrasing it, but he hangs up with her and is like, bitch. And he's like, fucking hell's going to get laid. Like, <laughs> shit, be dying. He I'm- says that, but he, I, the thing that gets me is he also says uh, something along the lines of, um, uh, he's like, you want to, he's like, you think I'm, he's like, you think I'm off cheating? Might as well cheat or something like that. I'm like, well, Fair enough. I mean, that's, uh, I mean, that's a hard way of looking at it, but, but no, um, yeah, it's, uh, he's a, he's a decent character and, uh, I mean, like he I redeems said, redeems himself later. Yeah. He's not, he's not so grimy. Yeah. I mean, compared to the other people in this story, but, uh, one evening, Mary and Lewis portrayed by Kristen McCullough and Nick Smith respectively break into Kate's home. They are convinced that uh brad is innocent and that the evidence pointing to him is unreliable it's also revealed that mary had an affair with brad and uh hal arrives just in time to see lewis about to kill kate it's really in between this we just have a lot of just arguments trying to convince really more not convincing each other more trying to convince the audience as to who to believe yeah um but yeah, things obviously escalate as we know they're going to. And uh, Hal arrives just in time because earlier he came back to the house. And like I said, he had given that doll to, uh, well, I can't remember the daughter's name, Beth. Beth, yeah. Beth. Uh, as a gift. And like I said, she didn't like it. And Hal asks if everything's okay. And she says, yeah, you know, Beth's just playing with the doll that you got, that you got her for a birthday that she loves so much. Yeah, obviously trying to indicate to him that like something's off, wrong. that we need help. That's her way of saying Because he help. was there and saw that Beth did, did not, not want like the his, doll. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you just see him leave, and it's funny because I was watching it with Nicole, and she's like, oh, you fucking asshole. You fucking should know that something's wrong. And then like you just see like the whole time he's driving, and you just see Hal come to the realization that like he, he, he knows all along something's wrong, but he realizes he has to do something about it. But, like, the closest cops are, what, like, an hour away or yeah, something? Yep. So he so decides to go town. back. And when he turns around, I was like, see, my man, Hal redeemed himself. He's going to go back. He ain't even going to wait. He ain't going to wait for the backup. Hal, Hal's going to do it yeah, himself. Yeah, he went in. Yeah, he was he was ready to, to, to go down fighting, man. Uh, yeah, so he arrives just in time to see Lewis about to kill Kate, who is confessing to implicating Brad in an attempt to save uh, Kate. Hal shoots Lewis, but then he's killed by Kate. For learning what the truth is. Yep. And, uh, Turning a twist of events there. Mary then inca- incapacitates Kate and takes Beth with her. However, Kate manages to escape and track down Mary. Uh, they have a struggle uh, between the two women with Kate ultimately killing Mary. Uh, as the film draws to a close, the shocking truth is revealed. Uh, Beth is a psychopath and the true killer of Courtney. Kate had set Brad up to protect her daughter, in a twist of events, uh, Beth stabs her mother, claiming she's avenging her father's death and leaves with a chilling grin. And, like, uh, we'll talk about the darkest part of that movie mm-hmm. is just Kate asking Beth, do you love me? 
and she just doesn't give her any answer. Doesn't give her an answer, which is a clear no. But just to not answer, yeah, leaves you dying. It with doesn't that, give like, you that full closure yeah, of her yeah. just saying no. Yeah, exactly. Beth didn't get uh, uh, what's it on? Kate didn't get that closure that she was looking for. Uh, the film ends with a stranger <laughs> seeing Beth walking. Uh, she's just walking with the knife in her hand. It was more like a post credit scene. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and offering to help her, unaware of the tragedy that just occurred. Uh, the credits roll, and it leaves us, the audience, a uh, little uneasy, and uh, makes us wonder what might lie ahead for this uh, young, girl. twisted <laughs> motherfucker. Yeah, man. Uh, deep, deep movie. Very dark shit. What's your, uh, what, what do you rate it? Uh, I would just say the movie, I mean, it kept, it did a good job of keeping you guessing throughout. Where you, I mean, there was times where, like, I went back to, no, it just was the father, like, it, it did a good job. Um, it has a very tight runtime, mm-hmm. which I think benefits for this movie because there's not really very slow moments. Yeah. It just keeps moving. <coughs> the performances from everyone are top notch, um, especially from uh, the actress that played Beth. I can only remember her last name, Kozma. Um, and then, uh, yeah, she... she <coughs> all kinds of emotion and just an amazing job pulling it off and uh yeah how how my guy it's a shame his head got blown off <laughs> uh overall uh mother leaves a gripping and disturbing exploration of a mother's love for her child and uh the length she will go to protect her and the consequences that follow uh that's gonna be an 8.4 out of 10 for me nice that was well said i like how you said that um this movie isn't about the sins of the father. It's about the sins of the mother. And uh, you can... Yeah, you I can, never thought of that. Right. Yeah. Well, the thing, and you can tell that this is a Canadian movie because there What's are... What's that uh, supposed to be a boot? No, yeah, <laughs> there are a lot of aboots in the movie. There's about three or four aboots that I caught, you know, um, which it's fine, but it's just one of those ones where, you know, you can immediately tell, ha, Canadian, I, mean, I gotcha, you we're slipped from up. the Mid-Atlantic. We have our accent of yep. water... Yeah, we do, and we have our own slang too. John. Yep, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, Motherly is an emotionally fueled home invasion revenge movie that uh, deals with <laughs> such, such themes as unconditional love, trauma, family, fear, mental illness, trust, deception, parenting, and more. It's, it's like you said, it's brilliantly, brilliantly acted, and I can't say the word brilliantly acted, and tells a story that will punch you in the nuts. Um, wow. <laughs> it's, it's beautifully shot. Put that on the poster. And like you said, well-paced. Motherly um, will punch you in the nuts. Truvanus. <laughs> the mother, Kate, is not a likable character at first until you understand her. Like, she's uptight, overprotective to the point of smothering. She overreacts a lot as well. And uh, I like that we see that they're going broke because it adds to the emotional tension and lets us really kind of see the stress that Kate's under. You say you, you don't like her till later, so you're saying at some point you do like the mother? Uh, no, I guess not. I mean, I guess fair enough. <laughs> because That's you a said good she's question. not likable at first. I was like, I don't know. She was, she's I not could really see ever why likable. somebody would maybe then like her. Yeah. But no, yeah, she's not ever really likable. No, yeah. You know what's funny? I, it's it's funny. Just like as we talk about and do these episodes, and I never really think of this shit ahead of time. And then once we're in the midst of it, I'm like, holy shit! How many movies have we been doing with overbearing mothers lately? It's like yeah, none man. of this shit is ever caught. Con- like besides, <laughs> where are the monsters? None of this is ever like. 
consciously set out to have themes and they just kind of like naturally happen yeah for we us just somehow. kind of keep having like, episodes we, like, like this. as i'll point out again we had a graham spencer month that was never ever planned we just each movie we went to review holy shit graham spencer's in this. and then we ended up he ended up being We're, on God our show it, i keep calling him graham spencer it's been it's, what the fuck now you got me confused oh, graham, skipper, graham skipper i yeah, hope he doesn't fucking. listen i mean i hope he listens to our show but i hope he doesn't because man i've messed up this guy i don't know why i want him to be graham spencer so bad <laughs> the funniest thing about this though is that after we reviewed like three of his movies in a row then he was on our show as a guest so we're like my god this really is graham spencer month skipper i gotcha i was uh-huh. waiting i was trying to see if you were gonna catch yes <laughs> but then i even did a good job uh. called him graham skipper for a while and then i fucked up again Sorry, Graham. It's the fucking weed. Whoever Spencer Graham is, for some reason, that smooth that flows smoother off the top. <laughs> <don't it? laughs> yeah. oh, Spencer man. Graham. Anyway, and if anything, like his name's not difficult, like my fucking name. Like, right. um, I'm sorry, Graham. I'm a terrible person. But uh, let, yeah, let me read something to you from uh, ParentingForBrain.com. Oh, they uh, sound reliable. <laughs> uh, what are overprotective parents? Overprotective parents show guarding behavior. That is excessive, considering the child's developmental stage and the actual risk level in their environment. Overprotective parents' single-minded focus is to keep their children safe, not only physically, but also emotionally. And that's exactly what's going on here, with a twist. One thing, though, most children who are overprotected grow up to be extremely dependent on their parents, but that's not something that Kate has to worry about. <laughs> Beth is out. She uh, she's not dependent no, on Kate. Kate's at out. All. She yeah, she couldn't. Uh, Beth couldn't care less. Um, but one last thing here: the tagline for the film is "Mothers will do anything for their daughters," and that has a totally different meaning once you get to the end of the film. It totally it still has a meaning, but it's a different meaning. And uh, the ending is unforgivable and unforgettable. My one gripe is that the music is too broad and a bit too much at times but that's nitpicking and nothing is perfect so i would give this one an 8.5 out of 10 all right well uh let's get on with our guests craig david wallace and we'll talk some more about the film Our guest today, Craig David Wallace, is a Canadian television and movie director, writer, and producer. He co-wrote and directed Motherly, his debut feature film. Craig David Wallace, thank you for being on High on Horror. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, so you're here on High on Horror, so we always like to ask our questions, uh, this question uh, first. Um, <laughs> do you uh, in- indulge in cannabis for recreational or medicinal purposes? Occasionally, yes, yes, I do, especially uh, you know in Canada where it is completely legal. Okay, so you say uh, you say occasionally. How often? I would say not that much. Uh, I'm getting on in years, and and I got a lot of kids, so it's uh, the opportunities are, are a little few for me. Uh, are you more of like a smoker, or more of an edibles guy? I'd say more of an edibles guy. Yeah, now, I read uh, you haven't always been a horror fan. You said in high school it kind of uh, changed when your friend convinced you to go see Evil Dead 2. Uh, what yeah. was it about that film that, that that changed your opinion? Well, you know, I think at the time I was just really 
really scared of horror movies. The, the whole idea of horror movies just terrified me just even thinking about them. And, um, I had a friend, um, who just really thought I would love evil dead too. And so, um, this was back in the, uh, the days of VCRs and VHS tapes. And, uh, we rented it one night and I was blown away because it was so funny. And so just absolutely crazy. And uh, I fell in love with, um, Sam Raimi. I fell in love with Bruce Campbell. And if you ever saw my TV series, Todd in the Book of Pure Evil, you'll, uh, you can see the influences from uh, both of those figures all throughout the entire show. We just basically uh, an homage to everything Sam Raimi. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to see Evil Dead 2 and not become a fan of Bruce Campbell after that. No, absolutely. And then when uh, Army of Darkness came out, I was uh, lucky enough to be able to see that in theater. And there was uh, a repertory theater nearby my house. And I must have seen it 12, 13 times in theater. I, I oh, love nice. that movie. Yeah. I just okay, released- so you were one of the people that liked it. A lot of people <laughs> hated it after Evil Dead 2. You know, I can. I think I could probably understand that if I had like grown up in that culture. But like me being, you know, um, an impressionable teenager, uh, I think Army of Darkness brought so much humor and just the sheer over the top madness of it all. Uh, just it just blew me away. And when I started working professionally in film, uh, actually before when I when I started really trying to be a filmmaker, I would just always gravitate towards. Sam Raimi's aesthetic. I would always end up doing little gags like he would do and mounting things to the front of camera and having them fly around and everything ended up being a, being an evil dead reference and army of darkness reference at some point. Now, did, did you end up catching Ash versus evil dead at all? Were you a fan if you did? You know, strangely, you know, I saw the the first episode and I really enjoyed it. And I don't know why, but it might have been because I had spent so long doing my own show that was very similar to it um, many years before. Uh, There was this weird block for me where I was like, you know, I have a hard time watching this (laughs) because I had made my, uh, you know, I had done my my show and I was watching another show about evil book that was, you know, I just, I just wasn't there, unfortunately. I've always meant to go back to it, but, uh, but. I never, never followed it through. Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed the series. I just wish it would have got more of a conclusion than, than what, than what, what, what we got. It was uh, excellent. Yeah. Uh, now moving it, moving on here. Um, the film, uh, your film, uh, went, went to fright fest. Uh, did you have a good time with the festival experience? Well, this is the weird thing about this film is, um, we, you know, we, when we were filming it around halfway through production is when the pandemic really hit and, um, you know, the entire post-production and film festival release circuit, the entire thing was, was online and, uh, not in person. So it's weird because the film played in all these great places. It played in, um, you know, at Fright Fest, it played in Finland, it played in Japan, it played all over the place. Um, but it traveled further digitally than I did physically, if you want to put it that way. I mean, I, I enjoyed the festivals from the comfort of my home in lockdown. So, uh, you know, I don't really know. You know, it's, it's almost, it's almost like it went on a journey without me. Um, so, uh, you know, it had a great reception of Fright Fest. The reviews were awesome. Um, but I didn't really get to participate in the festival, not in the way that you used to and that you're able to do now. So it's, uh, 
it's it's it was a weird experience. And I think anybody who made a film and released it during that time uh, has a very similar story to tell. Well, that's pretty cool, though. I mean, it sucks you didn't get to like do the traveling, but uh, to know that your movie was being seen and touring, you know, on its own, and you know, putting your name out there, that still had to be exciting. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, it was super great, and and as I said, the reception was really excellent. Like we had um, some people really, really loved the film, and that was really great because once you spend so long working on developing something you you get so close to it you're not really sure you know you know what it means to you you just don't know what it means to other people and to have other people respond to it so enthusiastically it was great well uh okay so like i want to ask you what made you want to direct something so emotionally heavy as mother Um, i'm sorry that's cool um you know what i don't think i we set out to my my co-writer ian malone and i we didn't set out to write something that emotional it just became that um when we started (laughs) yeah i mean i met ian on todd in the book of pure evil he was the story coordinator for my show and uh, we really hit it off and after the show was finished um we wanted to like write a i was like i want to make a horror film and um you know we were throwing around ideas and we started you see saying that he wanted to do a stalker movie i'm like okay well i let's let's start developing this idea and you know it it took us around it took us eight years like from that conversation to actually filming it and during that time we had gone through so many different versions of the film and it just kept getting more and more with every draft, it started focusing more and more on the emotions between the characters. And it really veered off from being a real horror movie into more of an emotional thriller. But the early drafts were much, much crazier, much gorier. Um, there was more people involved. And a lot of it has to do with um, just the budgetary realities of getting a film made too you know we kept you know you scale back on one thing and then you end up amplifying mm-hmm. something else and in the end it ended up being a, a very much more of a, a psychological character study than we expected it to be and and better for it you know, i think yeah i agree and I, th- I think that that's kind of how everybody starts off when you're writing you know I, I write books i haven't published anything but when i write i i write big and then once you see everything you kind of are like all right to make this more ideal or realistic i'm gonna have to scale it back so you went through the the scaling back phases and you kind of boiled it down to its bare like its main ingredients only and it's focused on that and it's like what you did was take the heavy emotional tone and you like threw that in a blender and mixed it with 10th thriller yeah, that, that's more or less what happened, indeed. Yeah, um, but uh, you know, it was it was an interesting process too because you you start off with characters who are more of ideas, and the more you live with them, the more you have them speak, the more they become real people in your mind, and you start living with them, and and they start taking on a life of their own, and you know, in the end, in a way, you feel like you're just really guiding these people through something rather than you know you creating them and telling them what to do in a lot of ways they're telling you what to do when you're when you're writing right right absolutely well uh with with content this dark what was the tone like on set 
You know, it was really interesting because, you know, the tone was really, really great. It was, um, you know, a small group of people, um, you know, uh, it was, I do a lot of television where you have these crews of like 50 to a hundred people. Um, but with this, it was really, really going back to my roots and it was a small crew of around 15 people. We were all living in this farmhouse or nearby in Airbnbs, um, just really tiny, really dedicated crews. So there's a real great sense of camaraderie and it was really laid back and it was really interesting because everybody got along so well and so we would do these heavy duty emotional scenes and then you know we'd cut and we'd all laugh over lunch and hang out and then have to go back to this really really dark place um but things got really weird when the pandemic hit because when we started shooting, there was really no sign of it. There was some, you know, news stories about a virus making its way through, through China. Uh, and then all of a sudden we started hearing about other productions getting shut down and it was just so fast, you know, within three days, it was like, Oh, are we should we even still be shooting and we had a lot of conversations of like trying to figure out what to do because there was no guidelines nobody knew what was going on and the location we were shooting in um the barn was going to be torn down right after our shoot so we knew we had to to shoot that out so we ended up going through everything and prioritizing everything that we had to film in order to get it you know that we would wouldn't be able to get if we stop then and try to go back later and uh we talked to the crew we just made you know we went through with everybody and, and said you know if you want to leave that's totally cool you'll still get paid for the rest of the shoot we want everybody to feel safe um but we've got a day and a half left here that we need to get through here and everybody wanted to stay on and so we like shot like hell basically and filmed everything that we could and then shut everything down so we had some gaps in the film when we first started editing it and then we ended up um around six months later shooting the rest of the film in a parking garage <laughs> and uh and just tr wow. basically faking everything that we could in close-ups so everything you see in the film of anybody driving and being in a car um that's almost exclusively in a parking lot that's been or a parking oh. garage that was shot like yeah six months later so it was a very poor man's process as they say you know um hal's driving that car and some somebody's uh, on the outside of the car rocking it back and forth somebody's twisting that light around if he gets out by a tree it's um a potted plant that's placed like just so far away from camera that you get a little bit of green it's it was it was pretty crazy but um yeah it was it was really fun to put all together yeah, that's pretty cool. Like all the all the different ways to put that together. Um, so it sounds like about six months you guys were shut down for COVID. Uh, I feel like a lot of a lot of uh, people we've talked to feel like, in some way, pausing the movie helped them kind of work and refine stuff with their movies. Did you feel feel that way about Motherly? To, to a certain extent, I mean, I don't think it really changed much. Like we knew exactly what we needed to get to, to fill, fill up the, the film. Um, and for the most part, it was really with just the one actor, Colin, who, who played Hal. He was the only person we brought back. So everything else was pretty much locked. Okay. So, um, yeah, there was, uh, there was some, some reflection time, but uh, it didn't really affect the film in any sort of real creative way. It would have been a better story if it was. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah. Kate in the movie, we kind of see her afraid of like the barn in the basement. 
so my fiance kind of caught on that. And she was asking, wanted to know if she had like nyctophobia, you know, or if it was just her being scared of what we later find out of her daughter. Yeah. I mean, we really wanted to show somebody who we, we wanted to portray somebody who had a sense of PTSD and we wanted it to feel like she had been so traumatized by her past relationship that mm-hmm. everything just affected her in this really anxious, intense way. And then later on, figure finding out that it wasn't PTSD at all. It was actually a very real fear of something that was right in front of her and something that she really loved. And that's where that all really came from. Um, it's so interesting too, though, because so many of the things that you write in the script change when you find a location you know we, we we had a barn obviously in our script and that's how we found the house but so much of it was trying to work around what we had and you know a location a practical location just doesn't fit exactly what you have in the script and so there were things like that that barn was really big and had a whole bottom part to it that we weren't really we hadn't really thought about and we were just always trying to build sequences around what we could find and um when we were shown by the owners of the house the little trap door in the uh in the closet leading down to the basement we were like oh God, we got to do something with this. And so we rewrote the whole ending of the film to have them go down there and have this secret door. And none of that was in the script at all. That was all just a happy accident of finding the place. Oh, nice. It just grew organically and happened. That's awesome. Yeah. But what's funny is, is that the, um, the, um, the linoleum flooring in the, uh, closet was really ripped up and you could obviously see the door and i spent i spent a hell of a lot of time and a friend of mine spent a hell of a lot of time painting it all out in after effects to make it work and the whole time i was just like fuck man if we had just put new linoleum down just for that shot i would have saved like weeks of my life there's so many visual effects in that film that you don't see that are just trying to fix stuff up like it was pouring rain throughout the entire shoot and uh well not the entire shoot it was like heavy rain on some days and then not heavy rain on other days but you know, it's all one night. And so you would go from scene to scene where it's pouring out and then there's no rain at all. And so I spent probably two weeks putting fake rain into like 60 shots and it just looked horrible. And I was like, I can't believe I'm doing this. And then I realized, Oh wait, maybe I should just go to the scenes where there's heavy rain and paint out the rain. And so then I just ended up taking out really big, like where you really could see the rain and big drops. I ended up taking that out of like six shots and it made it a lot better. Um, but it's just all that stuff you have to work through. Like there's, there's some scenes where there's entire backgrounds that were pouring rain that I actually like cut out and put in new backgrounds um, with like handheld cameras and stuff. It was a bit of a nightmare, but you know, you just kind of, you kind of end up doing what you got to do. So I feel like I spent more time in visual effects, fixing up stuff that nobody would ever see than, uh, than pretty much anything else. <laughs> well, um, the, I, I wanted to say about the emotion of the film, the dysfunction and trauma is believable. And uh, I, I have PTSD. I've spoken about it before on this podcast and it's one of the reasons that uh, I smoke. It, it does help me. But um, to me, the, the trauma in the movie was incredibly believable and the acting was so great. And I just wanted to know, like, did you or Ian, your co-writer have uh, like know anyone who had issues like that that helped you write like these, uh, these things so genuinely, or did that just happen? 
You know, it's kind of difficult to say. I mean, um, I was really going through um, a really difficult time with anxiety at the time that we were making the film, not of the film itself, but through some other issues I was having, um, I was kind of in between antidepressants and it wasn't really taking very well, um, which was probably news to this. I think this is the first time I've actually talked about that. So anybody who worked on the film um, listening to this will probably go, Oh, that was what was going on. Um, so I'm sure high on horror of, exclusive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I'm sure a lot of that came out subconsciously, but I really have to give credit where credit is due. And that's, that's really, you know, Laura, uh, Laura Burke was just like amazing. She really took to the character. She just dove in there and just lived those moments and just so realistically and heartbreakingly. And, um, I think her dedication to that just brought everyone on board and everybody just dialed into this incredibly emotional place. And I'm so glad that you really resonated with that because walking away from this film, whenever you, whenever you, you finish something, you, you're never really sure how it's going to be received. You're not even really sure how you feel about it. But the one thing I really felt strongly about this film is I, I felt like we got some really, really great performances that really, for me rang true and were really emotional and really compelling. And I'm really glad that you feel the same way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I got to ask if you had any parents come up and tell you that they related to Kate in any way, like that need to protect their child. Sorry. Can you repeat the question? I was saying, um, have you had anybody that's come up to you and kind of say that they could relate to Kate in that situation, like that need to kind of protect their child, even though, the things they're doing, but just that need in the end to protect their child. Strangely, no, I, I have not. Um, but I mean, that is really where, you know, the, the genesis of the film came from and it really, it really came from that feeling of, of being, you know, you'll, you'll do anything to protect your children no matter what. And, you know, I have three kids and that's really resonated with me through my life and always wondering, you know, you, you can't help but wonder what if in different situations. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm interested. Nobody's ever brought that up with me. Well, um, going back to, uh, the, the acting, uh, Laura, Bur Laura Burke's performance, uh, she was edgy and jittery and yeah, she pulled it off great. And the emotion came through, uh, her trauma came through. How did she get into character and was she able to turn it off right away? Was it like you said, cut and she's all smiles or was she like in go mode once she was in go mode? You know, I wouldn't say she was a method actor. She's a consummate professional, um, just absolutely dedicated to her craft. Um, and, but, you know, she, she would, she was incredibly prepared. We went through the script and, uh, really just arcing where she was at different times and trying to figure out, you know, what the intensity of, 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 of where she was, uh, you know, throughout each stage of the journey. Um, but really, you know, I, I don't really know much about her process. We would talk about the scene, um, but more often than not, she would just go for it and it was great. We'd, you know, adjust things here and there. Um, but um, yeah, it was really, really, she had her own process and um, you know, after you know, we cut, it wasn't like she would just snap out of it and be all smiles or definitely be an internal 
process going on and internal toll. But I, I, I would, wouldn't say that she was um, overwhelmed by it. She, uh, she disappeared in the role when the cameras were rolling, and she was a total professional when it wasn't. Just a lovely person to work with. Just fantastic. Yeah, and uh, uh, continuing on the acting, uh, Tessa Korsma did an amazing job. Was she just a natural when it came to being able to just display like all those different emotions she showed throughout the entire film? I have to tell you that I was freaked out about casting this film. Um, you know, the we did it for such a low budget. We made it for two hundred thousand Canadian, which sounds like a lot of money. Oh, wow. but it's really not much money at all to make a film and because of that we had to um not use union actors in toronto there was a bunch of rules that we just weren't able to to be able to do budget wise in order to go through the union Mm -hmm. and um we we were so lucky to find find the cast that we did and especially tessa tessa um really came out of a cold audition like a cold call audition i was so scared that we weren't going to find a kid who would be able to pull this off and just right from her first audition tape we were just blown away by her and i was just so so constantly surprised by her just maturity and ability to pull stuff off. I mean, we didn't, we never had any, we never had any issues getting anywhere emotionally. She really understood what was going on, where it was going. And she always brought a little something extra to it too. And it was just really amazing watching her, craft this character of Beth and really, you know, disappearing into that role. And she very much would, um, you know, you would cut and she would just be this really happy, really just great kid. You know, she'd have her iPad and be doing drawing. I I think she's like, she might be partly a robot. Maybe she like was definitely (laughs) the most, accomplished child i think i have ever met it was like we would shoot all night and then she'd be like okay i'm off to dance practice and it's just like what wait we just you just stabbed somebody in the chest with like a pitchfork (laughs) she was going to dance and you know just she was always drawing on her ipad and you know doing you know schoolwork with her parents who were there who were wonderful by the way they were just so supportive her of her i can't speak enough about how great her parents were so you know in regards to the casting of this film i was just i'm so lucky that's everybody was great and she was just awesome with her being so young, that had to, uh, you know, definitely take a, a huge burden off your shoulders and make your job a lot easier with her being that professional that young, because having a kid, that sounds like that would be the most challenging part of filming. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. And I mean, you know, I did spend, uh, I spent a, a good year, year and a half um, directing kids television. So, uh, you know, I've worked with a lot of different kids from a lot of different um skill levels and acting abilities and uh she was one of the best i've ever worked with and it was yeah it was a huge relief working with her when we went into it i was um i was very protective i was thinking of all these ways of like how do we shield her from all of the bigger issues of the film um but it just soon became apparent that that i really didn't need to that she was really mature and really capable and that she was able to just really um you know, be able to separate the film from life, obviously. I mean, you know, she's a smart kid. Uh, but also, she was just talking about it, like, all the horror movies that she'd already seen. <laughs> it was just like, oh, right, okay, yeah, you've seen, you've seen uh, The Exorcist. All right, okay, well, that's 
that's cool. You know, <laughs> things like that. So yeah, it was, uh, no, she was great. Well, uh, one of the things that I wanted to say uh, was that uh, one of the things that I love about this movie, you know, when I watch, I've seen the movie probably about four times, and oh, every wow. time the one thing that I always, yeah, and the, my wife loves it, you know, and, and the one thing that I always notice, and now I'm just thinking back to what you said earlier, and so I, ha- I have to ask you, I'm kind of connecting the dots here. My my thing was I love that you just like let the camera focus on the actors for long periods of time and just let them like do their dialogue scenes without any cuts, like you just let them do their thing and let it let the camera roll now was that because of the covid restrictions or was that like you know was that the way that you just wanted to film it it's just the way i wanted to film it i mean there's a certain point where you know you it's you 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 come up with a shooting plan and, and an aesthetic for a film and you try to follow it as best as you can and um you know, when you, when you have really great acting you know being able to to do it in a way where you're not you're not breaking it up. You're not cutting is, is always, always really, really fun and always finding ways of being able to do continuous shots. Like one of the things I I, I had the most fun doing, I think we all had the most fun doing is when um, Lewis is searching the house for, for Beth. And it's just this one long shot of Beth disappearing and then her being revealed that she climbed up to this little spot. And, you know, just whenever you're doing something where you have little tricks, where you have crew members who have to like get somebody up a ladder and then hide the ladder under a bed before the camera gets there. And just (laughs) knowing that there's like all these people who are doing different things just outside of the camera. That's it's always fun. And I think, you know, I think people, people, filmmakers really get into that that's why you see so many like winners in movies and tv because you just you get excited about like how long can you go before you cut yeah and i feel that that also like really uh puts you in the movie like watching movies that do that i i feel like it puts you in the movie more because it's like almost as if you're not watching a movie you're watching a series of events unfold as opposed to watching it cut to the next scene so i always feel that especially in like emotionally tense movies those types of shots are usually like the way to go to pull that shit off so you did like yeah, a really absolutely. good job of that it's interesting. Like when I really started getting into film, um, you know, uh, it was, it was the, I guess, early mid nineties and, um, films like, you know, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet and natural born killers. And, and all of those really hyper kinetic music video sort of films were really, really big. And it's really difficult for me to go back and watch those sort of films. Uh, it might just be because I'm older now, but it just, everything cuts so, fast and you know it's really you know there's there's a time and place for everything and you know fast editing certainly has a really great place you know i mean george miller mm-hmm. doing uh, mad max fury road is like the master of that but being able to hold a shot and being able to, to hold the action it's um it's it's really great you do you get a real emotional connection to what you're seeing it's a real you know visceral holding on of your attention yeah, absolutely. And uh, also, um, I, I, the, the something else that I have to say is that the mom and dad could have had motive in killing the little girl. Of you know, like they could have had motive if you think about it. You think it is them, so therefore there is like a you. You can kind of put it together that it's them, and that they might have had a motive for this reason or that reason. But Beth does not have a motive. So yeah. how or why did did Beth become a psycho? Well, I think that becomes a larger conversation on, you know, what is the nature of evil and what is, 
you know, what, what drives somebody to, to do something like that. And interestingly, perhaps strangely, that was never really a question that was on our minds. We were firmly always thinking about Kate and Beth in relationship to Kate rather than where Beth was coming from. And I think maybe that's just the idea coming from being a parent where you, 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 have somebody who you really love and you love unconditionally, even if you don't understand why they do what they do. And we were exploring that. We were wanting to explore how far does that go? And, you know, I hope we got there. You know, I mean, for me, it was always really about that last line that Kate says to Beth before she dies, where she tells Beth that she loves her and desperately, desperately wants Beth to say, I love you back. And she doesn't, and she dies, and that's that's all she wants is her daughter to love her back the same way that she loves her, and she knows that she can't, and that was always what was really really interesting to me. Um, you know, we've we've talked about like you know one day maybe we'll we'll do a sequel to the film where we're we're following Beth later on as she's she's older, and maybe maybe that's uh, that's something we'll explain in there. Maybe that's what we'll explore. Yeah, no, actually, that was something I wanted to bring up at the end when uh, Kate asked Beth, do you love me? That scene's so heavy, and I think it's even better that Beth gives her no response because she doesn't get that closure one way or the other, yes or no. Uh, did you try any other takes and playing that any differently, or was that pretty straightforward with how, how you wanted it to go? You know, I think that, well, that was definitely shot that way, and we didn't do any other takes, but... Um that that whole s- sequence, like that dialogue, had been there from very very early on, and, and you know, in so many ways, it really became like I want to make this whole movie to get to this scene. You know, this is this is what I want to make is the scene here between the hell two of people. a scene. Yeah, <laughs> and so I'm glad it uh, I'm glad it worked for you, and I'm glad that you, uh, you you went on the journey to get there. Yeah, and I just, like, like like I said, I feel like it's just even better that there's no answer. So even if she told her no, she could know that it's a no, she doesn't love her. But she just gives her nothing one way or the other. Yep. And uh, post-credits post now, what happens with Kate? Does she potentially have a new mom now? Or, or her crime's going to catch up with her? Well, I think we wanted to leave that a little bit, little bit open. You know, it's um, the, mm. the the woman who stops uh, and finds Beth by the side of the road. I mean, she's finding this little girl covered in blood. But um, you know, it's it's a funny thing with films. You know, they end, and you can kind of you, you kind of wonder where everything goes because you know, obviously, at some point, someone's going to find Kate and Lewis and everyone at the in hell at, at the house at the farmhouse all dead and, you know they're gonna they're gonna you know eventually put together that beth killed um killed kate so you know you kind of gotta wonder where that all goes so um that's the sequel we'll, we'll figure that one out well uh besides motherly and uh, a potential sequel uh, are you going to do more horror? Do you have a plan of doing any more horror? And if you if you do want to do more horror, is there like a subgenre that you would want to tackle at some point? Like, do you want to do a slasher? Well, I guess you kind of did, but do you want to do like a, a supernatural horror film or a you know something like that or uh, an exploitation film or something? Or do you is there anything you want to accomplish like that? Like any any particular type of horror film that you're like I want to put that under my belt before I retire as a director? 
Oh, absolutely. And I think really when you talk to anybody who's, you know, making stuff, they've got 10 projects that they're trying to get off the ground at any given time. And I'm no different. You know, I've got a whole bunch of different projects and a whole bunch of different genres. Well, not a whole bunch of different genres, but a whole bunch of different ideas going around. But they're they're always genre. They're always really horror oriented. Um, but really specifically to answer your question um i i loved making motherly i love the film i'm so happy that we made it um but it's interesting bringing out a film that is more of a emotional thriller than a horror movie it's very difficult Mm -hmm. to it's really difficult to market it's really difficult to sell especially if you don't have some sort of really recognizable person in the main cast and um i think from that you know, I mean, I, I've, I, I always love supernatural horror, um, but that's the one thing that's really missing from Motherly is, is the supernatural. And, uh, and that's definitely something that's much, much more supernatural rooted is, is the way um, all my projects are going at the moment. Oh, nice. And, uh, yeah, um, we want to thank you again for joining us. And uh, before we go, uh, do you have any of those upcoming projects uh, you'd be able to talk about now? Um, not really. They're all in either various stages of being written or being chopped around. Um, I've got another television series that I'm hoping to get off the ground, which would be awesome. Um, of course, just getting anything made is awesome. Um, but you know, Ian, Ian Malone wrote this really, really crazy, just really insane horror film, uh, that I just love. We're trying to get that set up right now. And, uh, yeah, I've got, Got lots of little little things brewing, so you know, fingers crossed, we can get it off the ground. Yeah, ho- hopefully those work out for you. And uh, where where can people keep up with your upcoming projects? Oh, I'm really bad with that, which you know might be one of the reasons <laughs> why it's hard for me to get projects off the ground. Um, I am on Twitter. Uh, I am the Craig Wallace uh, on Twitter, but. Um, I very rarely post on Twitter. Um, but if you ever see me post on Twitter, that means, you know, you're, you're following with something that's concrete. That's, that's happening. I'm not really one of those people who like some people are really good at like hyping up stuff that doesn't exist yet. And they just hype it up to the point where it comes into reality because they've hyped it up so much. I'm much more the kind of person where like, I don't tell anybody what I'm doing until it's done and I'm releasing it on the world. So for better or for worse, that's just what I'm comfortable with. And so, you know, Fair it'll enough. just spring up on you. It'll, it'll spring up on you like Beth with a knife in a closet, you know, before you, <laughs> you won't even notice, notice and there it'll be. Well, yeah, again, we want to thank you for joining us today. Motherly's an amazing movie. It's a hell of a ride. Um, I can't praise it enough. I'm glad Drew got me to watch it and we're glad that we we're able to talk to you about it today. Well, Hopefully thank we you can so have much. you on again in the future. Absolutely. Yeah, please keep in touch. And uh, this was really great. And um, yeah, uh, you know, just thank you so much for watching the film and responding so positively for it. Um, it really means a lot to me. Yeah, man. Thank you for making the time. It was great talking to you. Take care. Right on. Okay. Take care, guys. All right. Well, thank you to today's guest, Craig David Wallace, for joining us. Thanks all the horror hounds and smokers out there for tuning in. And uh, make sure to follow us online at High on Horror 420 at Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, 
Facebook. I think I got all four of those right. Yeah. I don't know why I struggle each week. They're all set in a different order each week, I'm pretty sure. Um, anyway, damn, and then I realized we recorded another episode that's technically a couple weeks before this, right? Yeah. I forgot all about telling people to write in for Puff Puff Ass on that <laughs> one, so I'll remind you on this one. <laughs> Hi on horror420 at gmail.com. Check out our website, highonheart.com. Sign up for our newsletter. You can uh, check out some reviews on the site. Uh, you can follow me fucking experiencing the Buffy TV show for the first time. Yeah. Hell yeah. Fucking, you know, when it come out, 1997 or some shit. Yeah. Yeah. About yeah. So, I mean, I guess I should know. I just fucking wrote about it. But uh, <laughs> Yeah. What are you asking me for? You're the one writing fucking essays on it. <laughs> Oh, too high to be thinking. It's like, Fair enough. What the hell time are we recording at it's, right now? It's uh, 3.13 in the 313 morning, and we're on our morning. second episode of the night. Yeah, and so... And like seven or eight bomb packs in. Yeah, so highonhard.com. Check that shit out. Uh, <laughs> then uh, next week, we're going to be bringing you a little bit of an older movie. But, but uh, a very important movie that you yeah. might not know about. Yeah, Collinswood, up to no good. No. <laughs> <laughs> the Collinswood story. And uh, we'll be joined by... Mike Mendoza, and uh, so uh, keep your eyes out for that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's not a bitch. I'm talking about the episode. Yes, keep he's your a eyes bitch. out for the episode. <laughs> <laughs> we're not, we're not, we're, we're not talking shit on our guests. I didn't mean he's a bitch. I meant the episode's the bitch. Check that bitch out. Anyway, I'll stop talking now. Yeah, catch you later. See you next week. <laughs>